short time ago, Attorney General Barr dropped the Mueller bomb on the American people, and people are going crazy <laughs> over it. <laughs> Because it's a huge nothing burger, and they're like, but, 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 but we, but, but no, I, I want but it so bad. <laughs> I want it so bad. Right. Welcome to the Cold War 115, uh, cooked for you, especially <coughs> on this day of our Trump, April 19th, 2019. Mm-hmm. Nice. Papa Bear. Hello. Uh, how are you going there in Trumpville? Trumpania in the in the land of Trumpania, how goes it? To be honest with you, I've been meaning to tell you this for a couple of weeks now, and you said something like this a while ago. But to make a long story short, we had to cut back on our TV, our cable, and we just watched stuff through Hulu. So I can't watch the news like I normally do, and it's been a month. And I've got to tell you that I feel better. It's like I've gone through <laughs> detox. I, I can't hear the negative, the criticism, the bitching, the whining, the counterattacks. And so I, I just stick up you know, with the main stuff. And I feel mm. so much better for it. That's good. So I'm yeah, doing you great. Need to, yeah. You need to uh, moderate. Yeah. Moderate your inputs. Yeah. Because it's just toxic as fuck. Yeah. 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 How you know, you? I'm like that. I pay more. See, I pay more attention to American news than Australian because we we've got a federal election coming up here in a couple of weeks, right? And I'm paying zero attention to that. <laughs> a because I'm not going to vote for any of them anyway. <laughs> How long I'm, is your I'm election? Gonna... Is it two years? Does it take two years to have an election? <laughs> uh, somewhere between uh, three and five weeks. Yeah, okay, is our campaign right. season. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, They announced our federal election, uh, I don't know, two weeks ago, and we're having it in two weeks. So it's about a month. There you go. That's how you do it. They go, go, hey, we're going to have an election. (laughs) Everyone goes, we don't care. We think you're a bunch of idiots. Well, you have to vote. Yeah, well, we will. We'll vote, but fuck you. Just make sure somebody's there barbecuing sausages when we get there. (laughs) You know, do you know about democracy sausages, right? No. Sounds like your penis. Yeah, it's a thing in Australia. Yeah. So we, we, we got, when you go to vote, uh, in Australia, wherever you go to vote, there is always, unfailingly, somebody there uh, selling uh, hot dogs. But our hot dogs are just beef sausages on a grill nice. wrapped in a slice of white bread with some tomato sauce. Wow. Um, and we call them democracy sausages because you, you go to vote, you get a sausage. You have to pay for the sausage. They're, sure. they're fundraisers. Capitalism. The, right. Normally we're voting at a school. Right. It'll be in a school hall or something like that. And usually your local primary school, school hall will be opened up and uh, the school will be selling hot dogs and cans of Coke and uh, 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 lamingtons. Right. Lamington is like a little piece of cake, a couple of inches long, uh, covered in chocolate and coconut with a bit of bit of jam in the middle and, if you're lucky, some cream. Uh, Australian uh, health food. <laughs> <laughs> I think you had, a, you had a lamington when you were here. I got, yes. I got you a lamington, yes. I'm pretty sure. Yes. A lot of other things, yeah. Yeah, democracy sausages. But So we, we go, we vote, and then we get the fuck out of there, right. and we don't have to worry get about it for another four years. Let, let me ask you this. Um, I'm assuming since you go to schools that schools are closed, uh, do people get off work? Is it any kind of national holiday, or you just do it as best you can? It's on a Saturday. Saturday. Right? Wow. Y'all are f- we're not. We're, we're not... <laughs> We're not fucking barbarians. <laughs> we do it on a Saturday there's so a, everyone can vote an and no one is inconvenienced, except for the people who work on right. Saturday. But it's a small, uh, smaller percentage. 
smaller percentage of the population. Yeah, yeah. but it's it's uh, yeah they they can you know e- email a vote yeah. in or whatever. You sure so, it's not two right. years? It doesn't sound right. Spend like a hundred yeah, million dollars. Hard, hard to, yeah, yeah. Hard to get your head a million. You mean a, bi- a hundred like million or a whatever? Billion. I don't know. But yeah, yeah, a billion, a billion. Yeah, a billion. Oh, this one will be over a billion. Easy. Trump's chest is probably going to be a billion this time. Wow. Even, you know, alone. Yeah. Um, welcome back to the Cold War Show. Now, uh, we are going to take a break from talking about Ho Chi Minh yeah. and, and Indochina and French for a while because, uh, I don't know if you know this, but the, uh, the the whole Vietnam thing, it goes on for <laughs> another 25 years, right? 35 years, how, 20, 20, 30 years, 30 years. How, yeah. how many jungle ambushes can you possibly talk about? I mean, really, come on, it's going to go on, yeah. Uh, not that we're, we're going to keep telling that story, but we're just going to take a break for a while because uh, we've been doing it for a long time. Yeah. And I wanted to talk about commies. Yeah. The commies, right? The commies are commies coming. Commies in America. Right. Particularly in light of the whole red scare that America's just gone through for the last couple of years. And it's not going away. I mean, it's, oh, it's the, yeah, the Russians are running everything. I wanted to dig into the little the history of red scares in America. I know we've touched on it before particularly very way back, very early in the series. But I, I wanted to talk about HUAC. Yeah. HUAC! <laughs> um, the acronym that sounds like you've, Pulled you're something. clearing your throat. Exactly. The House Un-American Activities Committee, which was created in 1938 to investigate disloyalty and subversive activities Bastards. on behalf of private citizens, public employees, organizations suspected of having communist ties, but it's best remembered for the Hollywood blacklists mm-hmm. and the Alger Hiss case. And we've referred, I think, to Alger Hiss before. Uh, you may recall he was present at the Yalta Conference. Mm-hmm. He was one of the key Americans at the Yalta Conference. We'll get to that in time. Um, as we have mentioned in the past, uh, Richard Nixon, who was a freshman member of the House in 1948, mm. managed to get himself onto HUAC, and he, uh, he 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 really led the pursuit of Alger Hiss and kind of made his bones ah, chasing Alger Hiss. Right, got himself a got himself a vice presidency out of the Not Alger bad. Hiss uh, publicity. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ronald Reagan, not sure if you've ever heard of him, but uh, he was uh, the president of the Screen Actors Guild in 1947. He testified before HUAC as a cooperative witness during the Hollywood 10 hearings. So he basically outed a (laughs) bunch of Hollywood people as being commies. Uh Um, We're surely telling him. Yeah, go ahead. He was also known uh, at that time as confidential informant T-10. That's how he was known to the FBI and uh, the director of the FBI. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Because that was Ronald Reagan. He was a confidential FBI informant in the uh, late 40s, as well as somebody who named names. Um, But, you know, I want to... I want to go back. Um, mm-hmm. You know, before HUAC, there were other things. There was the Fish Committee, right? Where they were accusing Fish of being communists. <laughs> uh, the fish. McCormack Dickstein Committee, mm-hmm. where they were accusing people's dicks of being communists. Look, they're red. <laughs> he's got a red. He's got a red hat on. Bends no, to the right. 
It's not right. <laughs> What's Ben Stiller got to do with it? No, that's not what I said. <laughs> oh, okay. And uh, I just got that. One that we we will talk about in in some detail. The D's uh, committee, Democrat from Texas, Martin D's mm-hmm. or Diaz or dies. I've had multiple Americans tell me it's pronounced multiple ways. How would you right. pronounce die? D I E S, right? Well, since Martin Dies Jr. has a state park named after him in Texas, I looked up a bunch of uh, YouTube videos on the state park. It's very beautiful. I certainly recommend it if you're in Texas or around it. But they all said Martin Dies Jr. Uh, state right. park. So. Whatever that's so called. Victor Victor Santoki wins then because he was the one that told me dies. He always wins. Yeah, yeah, he does. Smart. Man. Shout out to shout out to Victor. Um, so the Martin dies committee uh, mm. morphed into HUAC, right. but HUAC really changed the climate in America. Hunting commies went from being sort of a part-time thing that happened episodically in America uh, in the previous sort of 20, 30 years to being a big part of American culture, Uh, the red under the bed uh, insanity that started and is continuing to this very day, uh, started with HUAC. But I really want to explore how that came to be because I think – on the surface, uh, Americans and, and, and foreigners as well, looking at this from afar, I know certainly myself, um, had always had a, a certain narrative around that. Right. Uh, which was basically, and tell me, tell me if you disagree, and I know you won't because you, you never disagree with anything, but uh, uh, if, if... I'm a gentleman. My- <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, charm school. I saw that. You went to charm school. <laughs> yes, I did. Um, my, the narrative I always assumed was Americans saw communism under Stalin and his successes as very mm-hmm. uh, brutal and they were invading Eastern European countries and and uh, 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 treating their own citizens harshly and their economy failed and so America went, well, we don't want right. that, so let's make sure we don't have any yeah. communism here. Thank you very much. Um, turns out right. that's probably not the narrative. Um, right. That's not really how it happened. Because the anti-communist uh, vibe in America, the Red Scare, goes way back, decades and decades before that. goes b- way back before Stalin was Stalin. Right. When he was, right. you know, it goes, it goes way back before the Russian Revolution. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that narrative that I, I don't know if I picked it up through osmosis or, or just assumed incorrectly right. or it was sort of fed to me by a particular deliberate narrative uh, is just wrong. So I want to explore the, the real story, the, the, the deep history on this. Um, I'm going to take a break for a second. Do you, do you mm. want to say anything about... Just, just introducing the show. Yeah, without... 
No, I won't give anything away. So just like you, yeah, I was surprised about when the anti-communist started in the United States, the reasons for it, the justification for it, as well as the lack of logic that connected it and kept it going. So again, we're going we're gonna to explore this. And as we go through, and we will obviously point this out, there are places where there are just major disconnects. In some ways, this never should have happened, but I feel like it's one of those historical movements that just dominated everything. And this was something that was going to happen. And people, like you said, benefited from it. Um, some people tried to pull in the reins of it, but it just was not meant to be. So the anti-communism feeling in America is uh, a lot earlier than what a lot of people think. But again, the it, there's a lack of logic to it. Not that that's ever stopped a historical movement before. Yeah. Well, it didn't stop the, the Trump collusion <laughs> narrative. Lack of logic, but hey, don't let that get in the way of a good hysteria. <laughs> a good the time. Russians aren't even commies anymore, but what? they're still like, oh, the bad oh guys. it doesn't matter. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're always a bad guy. You've got to have a bad guy. America does, yes. Um, you know, they're like Emperor Palpatine. We thought, <laughs> we thought commies were dead. Russia, no, no. the Red Scare, was dead. No, no. And then, then we get a trailer right. for the Trump administration. <laughs> and right at the end of the trailer, you hear Putin go, <laughs> You're like, oh, no. Oh, he's, the red, he's back. The reds are back. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Wipe them out. Now, the, dies, yeah. the, the true legacy, I think, of the Dyes Committee is uh, a political culture. Mm-hmm. In United States, really doesn't have anything to do specifically with Reds, but it was this attempt by conservatives, and conservative by conservatives, I mean on both sides of yes. the political spectrum, yes. to uh, equate the real American mm. as being somebody who was opposed to liberal reform. Right, anyone who was. Uh, advocating for economic reform, social reform, civil rights, uh, uh, better conditions for workers, yeah. was was able to be accused of disloyalty, not being a real American, right? Either because you're a socialist or a communist, or, or in some cases a fascist, yeah. an anarchist, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Basically, to be able to build up these epithets into something negative. Uh, so rather than being seen as a reformer, you mm-hmm. can just be bandied with this. And we see that of obviously exists today. We see, you know, everyone from Bernie Sanders uh, during the last election through to uh, Ocasio-Cortez today right. and Ilan Omar and uh, Elizabeth Warren, right. uh, even though she's definitely not, you, they get banded with these epithets. They're, they're socialists, right. uh, they're communists, and they're used in America like it's a bad Absolute, thing. Absolutely, it's a slur. Whenever, yeah. When everyone, when, whenever, when, whenever someone on Facebook says, uh, you know, she's a socialist, I say, you say that, you say that like it's a bad thing. What? Yeah. Why? I don't yeah. get that. Because to me, it's not a bad thing. Right. Right? Yeah. But see, so, so, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Mm. I was just going to say, to me, a, a, a socialist is somebody who just wants to build a better world for the people. Yeah, absolutely. That's what a socialist means. Somebody who wants to make a fairer world. When when people use it like it's a bad thing, in my head, I'm like, uh, well, I don't know. What, what, obviously, <laughs> you think of it as something different than what I think of it. Right. Um, and, and, and if I can just add on to that, the part, again, this is a part of the uh, 
lack of logic that goes within the story. It's like if I'm a if I'm a dock worker and I go on strike for better wages, everybody not connected to me calls me a communist or an anarchist or, or a socialist or whatever. And if someone in the middle of the country, in Kansas, goes on strike, they and theirs understand that they're trying to get better working conditions, but everybody else around them calls them a communist or, or a communist. So I, I don't get the lack of connection. I don't get the lack of, of, of brotherly love, whatever you want to call it, between workers. If I do it, it's okay. If everybody else does it, they, they're they a communist. And, and we're going to see a ton and a ton and a ton of strikes where they understand what they're doing, but everybody else assumes that they're evil, that they're communists, and that they're trying to take over the country. I just don't get the... the is it compassion? Is it, the, is it the ability to see someone else's situation? But every time this happens, you're right. The newspapers, everybody jumps up and says communists or communist sympathizers or revolutionaries. But like you said, better wages, shorter working hours, better conditions, something safer. And these people are attacked by everybody except for those who are striking with them. It just makes no sense to me. Yeah, well, let's let's get into mm-hmm. it and explore how that came to be. Uh, one, of, one of the other interesting things that I learned is that... Um, you know, the whole anti-communist thing from the Dyes Committee through uh, HUAC mm-hmm. was partly um, backlash against Roosevelt's New Deal. Right. Um, and, and I think one of the things we'll explore over this next few episodes is just what a big deal the New Deal was. <laughs> oh, I think yes. Today, it's, it's really hard to appreciate. Yeah. It should have been called the big fucking deal because it was a big fucking <laughs> it was, deal. Yeah. Yeah. At the time it was it was a massive shift in thinking for Americans and a lot of people were very angry about it. Right. Uh, mostly rich white guys and they they pushed pushed back massively Hot. on it and tried to demon yeah. demonize it and Roosevelt right. and his wife and members of his administration. And and it took a a great depression to even have a chance to pass some of those things because as we're going to see a lot of it was shot down but he did get some stuff through and like you're right it changed the course of America in a lot of ways. Yeah. yeah. But but you know before World War 2 mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of the people the general the general public were in favor I think of the new deal and the Roosevelt administration because right. obviously their lives sucked. <laughs> Uh, and and Roosevelt was trying to do something about it, and the people yeah. appreciated that. So the the rich white guys at the top of the food chain uh, sort of struggled to get the people on board. But by the end of World War Two, they were able to build this fear narrative about the commies, and things changed. Right. You know, Churchill gave his own curtain speech, uh, and generally this mood uh, about the fear of communism, the contempt for the Soviet Union, meant they were able to get a lot more popular support, broader popular support after World War II. If I I could just add on to that, you reminded me of something. I interviewed a guy who wrote a book about World War II from the British perspective, and one of the things that the soldiers would write back to their families and um, say to when they were voting and and send letters back to representatives, or they're like, look, during World War I, you shafted our fathers. You're not going to do that again. If we're going to sacrifice and die... We want the world that we go back to to be at a better place. So by the time you have the Great Depression, the New Deal, and World War II, I think the American people are 
at least the American soldiers are, are expecting to come back to something better than what they left. And I think that's all wrapped up in the New Deal that uh, FDR was able to get through. But again, he had to fight the Catholic Church. He had to fight bankers. We're going to see all these different things he had to fight. But I think in some ways you were right. The American people who had it really fucking rough were on his side, and they're glad that this worked out the way it did. Mm. And as we'll see, you know, Hueck. Uh, in full stride had an amazing amount of power. It could subpoena witnesses. It could hold people in contempt of Congress. It could pressure witnesses to surrender names and other information. Anyone who refused to comply with uh, the hearings would be branded as a communist sympathizer. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, they could have careers ruined. Lives were ruined because people refused to testify about things that they knew about the political leanings of other people. Um, you know, I've seen uh, testimonies, I've seen transcripts of testimonies from some of these hearings. In, in fact, Victor uh, sent me a link to his stepfather's uh, HUAC testimony. Wow. Um, and and uh, his stepfather's ex-wife's testimony which was fascinating reading it was just they were basically just <laughs> telling these uh the these uh, uh, this congressional panel basically to go fuck themselves <laughs> in as many ways as they could <laughs> you're out of order sir no this entire committee is out of order um it's great stuff i mean it's really right. you, know, you, you had to have balls of steel right. when you got hauled in front of these committees in the the 50s anyway um the interesting thing is, uh, the more you read through the, the historical stuff here, there's really no historical consensus yet about the the meaning or the impact of the post-World War II Red Scare. Mm-hmm. Um, historians are, are divided about it. Um, their, their views change over time, yeah. as you would expect, as new sources become available particularly after the, the Soviet archives in Moscow opened up in the 1990s, um, we were able to find out that there were, uh, in fact, American communists who functioned as spies during the Cold War, including Alger Hiss, as we said before, even though he denied it in his entire life. We found out uh, uh, when the archives opened up that there was evidence that he was a spy. Um, so mm. with some of that information, you could say that the anti-communist crusade might have had a rational basis but there's a big difference between knowing that there are spies there's always there have always been spies from every country in every other country yeah. that's the way that yeah. that's what spies are right there are right now at this very moment in America I can guarantee you that <laughs> Australia has people spying on you you know uh, yes. probably badly probably right. very badly <laughs> we're, we're probably going G'day, mate. Uh, what secrets have you got to fucking tell me? Oh, come on, you old cunt. Just tell me some secrets. Yeah, no. Nah. I can take the rest of the day Yeah, I'm off. a spy. Yeah, yeah. I'm a fucking spy, mate. Yeah. What, what do you, yeah, okay. yeah, listen. Let's just cut the fucking bullshit, right? No. I, I, I need secrets so I can go watch some porn and have a beer. Now, uh, just just tell me. Because that's because we, we lack subtlety. Right. That's my point. Amen. Of course, an Australian started the whole rump. Trump collusion, Trump, Trump collusion narrative. Yeah. Our former former opposition leader, um, uh, Alexander Downer, 
was the guy that had a beer with uh, some oh, junior God. member, George Papadopadopadopoulos, right. uh, in London, who said, oh, yeah, yeah, the Russians are going to give us all this stuff on Hillary Clinton. <sighs> and uh, Downer went to the FBI and said, oi. oi. Hey, <laughs> hey. So it was an Aussie who started that because he couldn't keep his fucking mouth shut. Anyway. Right. Um, on the other <laughs> on the other hand, in 2003, the US Senate released 4,000 pages of transcripts from the McCarthy hearings. Oh, my God. By the way, I want to point out for people who don't realise, HUAC and the McCarthy hearings were different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, McCarthy ran a Senate inquiry. Right. HUAC was a House committee. Mm-hmm. So they mm-hmm. were separate, but and, and McCarthy came later as well. Um, but they kind of built on each other. They were both part of the whole Red Scare thing. Uh, anyway, they released 4,000 pages of transcripts from the McCarthy hearings, which basically demonstrated that his hearings had pretty much zero value, <laughs> um, came up with nothing, shattered right. many, many people's lives completely unnecessarily. Not one person went to jail right. as a result of the McCarthy investigations. But um, but yeah. but like you said, so they don't find anybody. Four thousand pages worth of testimony. But like you said a second ago, there were Russian spies. So obviously McCarthy's committee or whatever wasn't very good at their job. They terrorized their own people. Didn't catch any Russians. What the fuck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, McCarthy biographer David Oshinsky. Mm-hmm said, in a very odd way, McCarthy made us aware of how fragile and how valuable our liberties are, and in some ways, that is really his legacy. Mm, From a certain point of view, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know. Thank you. Doesn't feel feel right. Doesn't feel right. I'm sorry. You're welcome. You're welcome, said McCarthy. (laughs) That's my point all along, said the ghost of Joe McCarthy. I just wanted to demonstrate... You know, this was all uh, really uh, Andy Kaufman right. in disguise, just trying <laughs> to demonstrate my Nobel Peace Prize. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. that <laughs> you should not let people like me do things like this. Thank you. You're welcome. Good night. My tip jar is right. in your corner. <laughs> I'll be back. Let me. Yeah. <laughs> 50, six, 60 years from now in the disguise of Donald Trump, just to point out how broken right. our electoral system is. Got to remember it. Um, you know, uh, I, and, and I guess the great irony, the thing that I, I like exploring with this is that during the Red Scare uh, after World War II, while the United States claimed to stand for freedom around the world, sure. at home it was purging its own citizens yeah, and uh, chasing that. them down, keeping files on them for no good reason, destroying lives... Uh, all in the name of national security Mm -hmm. and freedom. In freedom, we have to uh, uh, curb your rights. Freedom-loving peoples. Um, Yeah. Back back to St. Augustine from our Renaissance show. Listen, God uh, allowed these barbarians to rape you because he loves you. Um, Go figure that one out in your quiet moments. (laughs) Oh my! Now, yeah. as as I said before, look the the American fear of communism was not new uh, in 1945. Goes way back, and and there are a lot of reasons for it. I don't want to uh, oversimplify it. It's it's not black and white. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There there are, there are some good reasons for it, and there are some 
dodgy reasons for it. I mean, rich on one hand, rich white guys used it to maintain control of their wealth and power. Right. But um, yeah, there's a lot of backstory here, and you, you know, I can never start something Mm-mm. just by talking about it. I, I, you know, what's that, Uncle Cam? <laughs> I hear you say, "What's the, what's the backstory?" I'm, I'm so glad you asked. A thousand Tony years Coniston ago, and Trevor Bell. Yeah. Well, uh, just after the Big Bang, when uh, 400 million years after the Big Bang, when these hot plasma coalesced into hydrogen and helium, no one would have, no one would have seen. That eyes immeasur- minds immeasurably superior to our own. Um, <clears throat> like you go, you go right back, and you can see in the nineteen thirty, uh, sorry, the eighteen thirties, mm-hmm. during the fight for non-property owners to get the vote. Mm-hmm. People were suggesting then that that was some form of socialism. Uh, there was a famous New York judge, James Kent, right. who declared at the time, my opinion is that the admission of universal suffrage and a licentious press are incompatible with government and security to property. <laughs> okay. Um, so, you know, rich white guys, yeah. rich white guys didn't, they've never wanted people to get the vote They've never wanted people to, you know, have uh, more rights. Right. And, and, and you look, it, it makes sense. You know, if you're a rich white guy, mm-hmm. you, don't want, you don't want people coming and taking your shit. It's no, your shit it's as right. far as you're concerned. I this stole is, it fair and square. Shit. Exactly. It, yeah. Either you stole it or you earned it or you inherited it right. from your rich white daddy. But it's mine um, now. Yeah. You, yeah. So you're going you're gonna to do everything in your power. Right to stop other people from getting it. It doesn't matter what the morals or, or mm-hmm. the, the, the ethics of the situation are. Fuck them. You're going to use everything in your power to stop people from coming and taking what you think of as being your shit. Right. Um, but, you know, people got the vote. Eventually, men did. Uh, and then, you know, eventually, later, many, many years later, even women got the vote. Hmm. And then even... Black people got the vote, yeah. and Indians got the vote, and oh, yeah. people weren't happy about it. <laughs> uh, in in this country, in Australia, our indigenous population got the vote only a few weeks ago, really. <laughs> um, 1967 or 69 or something like that. Wow. Just before I was born, wow. we finally said, all right, you can vote. Oh, right. oh yes, you've line. been here 60,000 years. <laughs> I guess you've earned the right. To vote on what happens. Jeez. Got to wear a tie. Mm. Yeah. Because, yeah. And, and and as we've talked about in previous episodes, you know, the uh, we did this a lot in our um, Bullshit Filter series on drugs. One of the reasons why there was a lot of drug legislation in the 20th century in the US, anti-drug legislation, is because they needed a mechanism to keep... Uh, the minorities down, keep their foot on the necks of the necks of the minorities, right? Because they were worried that if the minorities could vote, oh shit, they might vote for one of their people. Can't have that. Who might make things better for them at the cost of the rich white guys? So Zero the rich white guys exactly worked very hard to say, so, oh, listen, if you smoke the uh, marijuana, then you're obviously uh, a psycho killer, and we need to put you in jail. I, 
I'm guessing that you got the same vibe I did when I was reading about J. Edgar. Uh, I'm sure you got the Harry Anslinger vibe, you know, uh, going through that my country, right or wrong, the rules and laws don't apply. I have to do whatever I have to do to save my country, even from itself. And I was just amazed, that, not amazed, but uh, it would just struck me that, uh, yeah, just that same mentality, winner take all, do whatever you have to, rules be damned. But at the same time, being smart enough, tried not to get caught because you know what you're doing is technically illegal. Yeah, well, the good thing about J. Edgar Hoover's policy was, well, uh, even if you do catch me doing it, I've got a file on you, so... (laughs) So fuck off. Well, yeah, yeah. So, look, you could fire me as director of the FBI, but before you do that... Take a look. Have just take a look at this file. Uh, copy this file. Copy that I'm putting right. on your desk. What was what was that? F- four more years. Thank you very much, uh, sir, Mr. Mr. President. President. <laughs> yeah, thank, you. thank you very much, Mr. President. Uh, nice doing business right. with you. Take care. Um, so, in the after the 1830s, in the 1890s, when people were trying to introduce the first federal income tax law, oh shit, it was attacked in front of the Supreme Court as being communistic. Huh? Because it's a trans. So this is it's a transfer of wealth. Is that the argument I'm guessing? Or yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, we talk. We we've been talking in our Renaissance show about the rich white guys in Florence <laughs> in the 1400s, right? Being up in arms about uh, being taxed on their uh, wealth. Yeah. Their, their entire wealth. Previously, right? For people who don't listen to that show, a shame on you. <laughs> B. Um, Prior to the early 1400s, uh, the taxation system in Florence was you got taxed on your... Uh, uh, income. Income. Right. That's right. Yeah. Taxed on your income. Right. But rich white people, uh, you know, their income on paper was little, but they had massive amounts of assets that were uh, uh, right. wealth for them that they could use in a variety of ways. And so um, partially under the leadership of... Uh, Papa Joe? Uh, yeah, Papa Joe, Giovanni, mm-hmm. De Bici, De Medici, he, uh, they passed this law, the Castato tax. Mm. Anyway, and the rich white guys fought that in their own way. They said, well, fuck it, let's go to war. Let's <laughs> see how much you like your tax. Um, in America, they called it... It was communistic. Now, this is decades before the Russian Revolution had even happened. Right. Being, something being socialist or communist was already being used as an attack on progressive changes to the system. Now, today, not many people are going to suggest that letting non-property owners vote is communistic or right. an income tax law is communistic. But that's the way these things have always been branded initially. Any Any sort of major socioeconomic changes in the US were branded as socialist or communist. Um, but, you know, the, I think the first real Red Scare kicked off after, after the Russian Revolution in 1917. Uh, even though the Russian Revolution was about overthrowing the Russian monarchy... Thank you! 
Um, why would Americans care about that, Ray? Well, yeah, that, that was one of the things I wanted to bring up. So, yeah, so they, they forced the czar off of his throne. You would think the average American would be go, good for you, or whatever. But I'm guessing that the, uh, the, the Russian Civil War that comes, the rumors of uh, the communists or Bolsheviks being brutal, uh, having to put, you know, because once you take power, you have to keep power. And so you're going to have to fight to do that. I think the Americans, probably like a lot of other uh, uh, people in different countries, were probably shocked um, and uh, freaked out by the violence that came after the revolution. So, again, there was probably like a 20-second window where they're like, you got rid of your king? Good for you. Oh, my God, now you're killing each other. And there's a civil war. And that's just, you know, that's that's horrible because, like we've said before, what every human on this planet wants is for tomorrow to be just like today so they can plan their lives. And I'm, I'm just thinking the, um, the uh, brutality of what comes with the Russian civil war just freaked out the Americans. And, of course, you have to remember it does get personal for the United States. States because as you, as you pointed out on the show earlier, the British and the Americans sent troops in to Russia during the Civil War. It, we it didn't go very well. We had to get the fuck out of there. So in some ways, you could say we had a stake in it because the, the Civil War didn't go the way we wanted. But again, I think overall the Americans were just shocked and saddened and horrified and scared by all the violence that comes after the revolution. But hey, like you said. If you're going to have a revolution, you got to take power from people because they will do practically anything to keep it. And so these people knew that, the Bolsheviks knew that, and they had to fight and kill for it. And the Americans couldn't relate to it because Absolutely. America's never had a never had a civil war, <laughs> so it um, didn't know what well, a civil war would look like. A civil war that we had. Obviously, it's the same civil war, but, but the fact that you throw a king in there, um, or excuse me, a czar, you know, I, I don't know if I had to split hairs, and this is splitting hairs, I think the American people are like, well, we had ours, it's over with, thank God I didn't have to go through it. But the idea that if you if there's another revolution in this country or in whatever country, there will be massive amounts of killing, and I just think that just... I, I think the typical Amer- American would think that our civil war and their civil war, in some ways, were apples and oranges. How? In in what way? Well, I mean, obviously, and again, I, I'm splitting hairs here, you know, because it's mostly about killing each other because the Americans lost 600,000 people in our civil war. The Russians, I believe, lost more than that. But the fact that we were fighting over, you know, the country dividing up in the issue of slavery, whereas they were getting rid of their king. Um, so the Americans aren't going to have another civil war over slavery or dividing the country. We might have a civil war over changing leadership, but that's as far as it goes. And... Um, I, I I think you're trying to say that the Americans should have had understood this better because of their own civil war, but I think to a degree they did not, and they were naturally horrified by all the violence that they heard about during their these Russian civil war. So America went to war. Americans went to war to get rid of their king. Are you talking about the, the revolutionary? Okay, yeah, about, sorry, yeah. Yeah, about a, about a hundred years um, before the Russian Revolution, America had its own revolution mm-hmm. to get rid of a king. Went to war. Right. People died. Then, uh, what, 60 years after that, give or take, America had its own civil war. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> well, no, a bit longer than that. So when so you eighteen sixty one and sixty five. So I can't do my that's fine. Hundred years later, 
hundred years later, America had a America had a its own uh, civil right. Uh, yeah. So let me turn the question a little bit. So are you saying or proposing or arguing that the Americans should not have been so shocked by the... No, I'm asking why, why, why did Americans care that the Russians overthrew their monarchy? America is supposed to be anti-monarchy. Right. So why would why would America care that the Russians had overthrown their monarchy so much so that they sent troops there to support the monarchy? Right. Um, that's a good. Ooh, that's a good question because I was about to say until you said that. Just like with the French Revolution, the Americans, just like everyone else, was freaked out by the violence and the murder during the French Revolution. So, are you arguing that the Americans would rather see a Russian king or a Russian czar than have the communists take over? Well, I think that was, yes, definitely part of it. Okay. We, we certainly know that was uh, Churchill's view Absolutely. because we've, we've quoted Churchill as saying yes. that. Yes, Yeah. At the time, like towards the end of World War I. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think part of it too, to argue the other side, mm-hmm. which I was waiting for you to do, but you never got there, so let me, let me give you your argument for you, is uh, the United Kingdom and the United States were allies of the Russians, during World War One, fighting the Germans. Right. So the the collapse of Tsarist Russia was, uh, you know, the collapse of an enemy. Uh, sorry, the collapse of an ally. Right. Um, and they were, I think, concerned that uh, the Bolshevik government, even though they weren't wasn't run by the Bolsheviks initially, but the the uh, new People's Government, let's call it that, of Russia, might be. Uh, if not allies of the Germans, uh, might uh, at least enable them to uh, right. use their land and give them weapons or something like that. On aggression, they they they, they declared neutrality, but they they might you know yeah. they might join sides with it, even though the war was almost over when the whole thing went down. Anyway, um, so look, there there were probably reasons of that ilk. I think there were they they didn't like the idea of a bunch of communists or socialists uh, taking over the country as well. But um, anyway, that's how it went down. So the Americans started to ramp up their Red Scare after that, and I'll get into some of the additional reasons. But just for people who don't remember or or haven't listened to those earlier episodes yet, uh, Wilson was the president of the United States at the time. He sent 14,000 American troops Mm -hmm. to Russia uh, after the revolution to support the white army against the reds uh, and they were still they were still there fighting um, at the end of world war 1 right and and if i can say what you've said on the napoleon podcast and feel free to take it over is, again if there can be a revolution in russia there could be a revolution in other countries and if you were an american business owner or a capitalist or whatever how would you not be you know thinking along those lines, or at least be a little nervous to see what's going on in Russia. Exactly. Yeah. And and that is, I think, a big part of, of the story that we're going to tell here. Um, but I, I just want to make out, make the point mm-hmm. that at this juncture, you know, at the end of World War One, the communists, the Russian communists, the Bolsheviks, um, had done nothing to America. Right. <laughs> they had no spies. They hadn't tried to invade. Right. 
they hadn't even uh, formed the common turn and and you know declared their intent to overthrow the capitalists of the world. I mean, yes, the IWW had been around before that and the the, the Wobblies, and they'd been talking about the overthrow of capitalism. So there had been those sorts of discussions, but nothing specific. The Russians. Right. Russians hadn't done anything to the Americans at this point when the Americans invaded. So the very first time uh, the United States is going up against Russians, communists, right. is when America invaded Russia to try and kill mm, communist Russians. Not a good start to a That's the very beginning yeah. um, of, of the Cold War. It was actually hot, (laughs) live ammo, ammo, uh, shooting at each other because the Americans invaded. All of the justifications that will come later of, oh, well, they spied or, oh, well, they said this or they did that. I want everyone to remember that the very beginning of it was America invaded Russia. Well, they pulled out of the war and and all the, the Germans shifted all those divisions and it got really hard for the Allies on the Western side. That's not nice. Yeah. Justify it millions of different ways. <laughs> the point is right. America invaded Russia and shot at communists yeah. to try and overthrow the revolution, the people's revolution, right? Yeah. The Americans went in there as a reactionary force, as a counter-revolutionary force mm-hmm. to try and stop the revolution from succeeding and to reinstate, right. reinstate, <laughs> the... The kings. Right. America went in there to try and reinstate kings, put kings back, put the king back on the throne while he was dead. We- but put <laughs> a, a, a well, they were all dead. Well, pick somebody. Yeah. yeah. Just Fi- fucking pick yeah. somebody. You look like Give a Romanov. A you can, yeah. 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 Put them on there. <laughs> <laughs> they just put Robin Williams in a fake beard <laughs> and uh, put a, wasn't, no, it wasn't Robin Williams. Who is uh, the guy from, um, uh, fish called Wanda. Kevin. Kevin Klein. Kevin Klein. He could do it. He could do it. I think they did a movie where he played. The oh, King. He, he looks know, like a Romanoff. Yeah, some movie from the right eighties, nineties. Gotcha. I don't know. Anyway, I don't know what he's doing these days. <clears throat> I haven't seen him for years. <laughs> so Wilson, back home, um, Wilson launched a political attack on Russian radicals. Uh, he personally authorized. Uh-oh. See if this sounds familiar. The publication of a secret dossier <laughs> that supposedly showed that the leaders of Russia mm-hmm. were conspiring uh, to overtake America, overthrow America, and that they were paid agents of the German government. Wow. That's a hell of a stretch. Okay. Well, not really, because if you think about it, I mean, okay, if you think about it, so uh, when Lenin takes over, mm-hmm. he he uh, uh, declares uh, their war with Germany is over. Right. They go, hey, fuck it, we're neutral. We've got our own problems Give up the going Ukraine. on here. We've got a fight. So, yeah, I, from the outside, I, I could see how that makes sense for if, at a quick glance. Oh, yeah? They probably got paid by the Germans to do that. Sure. Conspiracy theory works for me. Right. Um, any evidence? Nah, nah, nah. <laughs> the guy he got him from, whose name I couldn't come up with, but apparently he said, according to Tim Weiner's book on the FBI, this guy said he was an expert on propaganda 
and had produced what he thought was the greatest scoop in history. Wilson didn't uh, get anyone else to check the authenticity <laughs> of the secret dossier. It turned out they were fakes. And not just fakes, they were bad oh, fakes. They were, yeah. Sold to some dumb American by some swindler. Uh, a dumb but, rich American, thank you. But mm-hmm. didn't matter. By the time people worked all that out, it was too late. Yeah. The political conversation in America. Yeah. Had changed yeah. because you never let a guy, uh, uh, the guy, lev- n- <laughs> never let a lie get in the way of a good story. Exactly, Ray, is, exactly. is my motto, ben and Wilson. it was President Wilson's <laughs> motto. Yeah, it was collusion, Ray. Collusion <laughs> doesn't matter that there are no facts, no evidence to back it up. It was collusion. It's Go got to be collusion. Could only be collusion. Must be collusion. It feels like it. it feels like <clears> it. yeah. So after Wilson put out this report, then. Congress got involved in January 1919. Right. Senator Lee Overman uh, started hearings in the Senate on the threat of Russian whatever, overthrow. Right. You, you got anything to tell me about the Overman Committee? Yeah, so as far as the Overman Committee, there had been several strikes in America in the 19, uh, 1919. So the Overman Committee, uh, it's a five-man committee of the U.S. Senate Committee of the Judiciary. Um, it, it's, it gets its mandate extended on February 4th, 1919. And like you were saying a second ago, at first it was supposed to investigate German subversion during World War One. Okay, that's fine. But now, because of the communist scare or because of the mentality that's changing in America. Now it is it is to study any efforts being made to propagate in this country the principles of any party exercising or claiming to exercise any authority in Russia and any effort to incite the overthrow of the government of this country. So somehow they go from looking to, in German spies in World War One, which makes sense because we're fighting them, to suddenly looking for anybody who's got any control or any connection with Russia because now Russia is supposedly out to overthrow our country. And this is 1919 and they're in the middle of the civil war and they, they've lost the breadbasket, the Ukraine, they're, they're struggling, they're surviving, but they're somehow going to take over or subvert America. That's to me, again, one hell of a stretch. Yeah, so the Overman Committee uh, started in January 1919, and the timeline is interesting here because 1919 was a big year. Mm -hmm. It went on for a few years, and it worked very closely with the Bureau of Investigation, the BOI, as the FBI was known back then. Uh, Overman gave the BOI open-ended access to all of his reports from every other branch of government, <sighs> and in return for that, they gave him everything that they had. Right. Uh, and the, the tone of the Overman hearings uh, was established when uh, anti-communist expert, so-called expert from New York, <laughs> local Archibald Stevenson, uh, gave testimony. He'd been running something else called the Lusk Committee in New York for a few years where they they were also hunting down communists. Um, But here's a transcript from his appearance at the Overman Committee. Senator Overman asks him, the idea then is to form a government within this government and overthrow this government? Precisely, said Stevenson. 
You think this movement is growing constantly in this country? Yes, said Stevenson. It was the gravest menace to this country today. Can you give us any remedy? Asked the senator. The foreign agitators should all be deported. American citizens who advocate revolution should be punished, said Archibald Stevenson. Um, Now, you know, yes, we had a revolution, but that's it. You're only allowed one revolution and one civil war. We love our, we're very, very proud of our revolution. We're very, very proud of our civil war. Well, up in the north we are, in the south not so much. We're done. Yeah, but we're done. That's it. You get get two and done. One and done. Two and done. Yeah. One revolution is okay. Two revolutions. No, no good. No. No good. No, no, no good. No good. Well, what happens if it's corrupt, the, nope. the new government? Nope. Well, sorry, sorry. You, had, you had your shot. Nope. Should have thought about that. No, do what We did. Well, you know. <laughs> did, you, did you read his other incredible statement? Um, no. Which one? Just let me do this real quick. Let's see here. Um, uh, he testified on January 22nd, 1919, when the committee was still in its anti-German phase. He said that the anti-war and anti-draft activism during World War I, which he described as pro-German activity, has now, had now transformed itself into propaganda developing sympathy for the Bolshevik movement. America's wartime enemy, though defeated, had exported its ideology that now ruled Russia and threatened America anew. And this last thing is, the Bolshevik movement is a branch of the revolutionary socialism of Germany. It had its origins in the philosophy of Marx, and its leaders were German. So within that one paragraph, he's able to take the German threat, which is now over because the war is over, or it's about to be over, and somehow make it Russia is out to get us. He literally says, he literally says they come together or there's a transformation and we're still threatened, but now it's by the Bolshevik movement in Russia. And 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 there is some truth to that in that very, Marx was yeah. German and the the sort of socialism uh, had some you know big experiments in Germany before Russia and the Russians did learn from that yeah. and, and also had some you know experiments in in France as well. But it's still a rich World War One had nothing to do with German socialists <laughs> or communists, right? Like on the contrary, yeah. it was you know it was monarchs fighting monarchs. <laughs> Monarchs, by definition, aren't socialists or communists. I mean, the guys that killed Franz Ferdinand were anarchists. I don't think they were even socialists. Uh, So... The black was it the the black hand? Were they the guys Mm -hmm. that killed uh, Franz Ferdinand? Yeah. Or is that just the mafia? It sounds Ferdinand and assassin. What the the black princip? Who was the black something? Um, God, I just want to go in a really bad place with that. Let, let me just add on one more. Um, no, set. it was the black hand. The black hand, it was yeah. the black I hand. I thought you were right. Yeah, yeah, I was right. I never doubted yeah. you. After, after, um, after this, uh, Stevenson says this, other senators are brought before the committee, and in, through their testimony, they're able to tie this new threat 
that is Bolshevism, they're able to tie it to any and all American progressiveness or reformers, like you were saying a second ago. So if you want to do, if you start complaining about wages, working conditions, your hours are too long or whatever, you're not just someone who's trying to do a better job of taking their care, care of the family. You're Bolshevik, you're communist, and you are a threat to the very existence of this country. Yeah, so I, I think there's a lot of underlying causes in this kind of mm-hmm. um, dialogue. Uh, some of it, as I've indicated, I think is rich white guys trying to stop any progressive legislation or Absolutely. progressive ideas from happening. Some of it is just straight up racism. <laughs> I mean, as we've talked about on the Bullshit Filter War on Drugs series mm-hmm. and also in the guns, uh, the guns series... I mean, a lot of the legislation that passed uh, in the 20th century in the US was due to backlash against immigration. Um, and it was the same same here as well. Um, you know, this isn't an American uh, right. thing. None of this stuff is American, obviously. Uh, Human nature. America is just the, you know, the one that we're talking about because we're talking about the Cold War. But, I mean, there is – whenever you have immigration of people who whose culture, whose language, whose traditions are different – than uh, the majority of a country, some members of that majority feel threatened by mm-hmm. that. And humans are designed to be xenophobic. Um, you know, for the vast majority of human history, the tribe over the hill uh, probably was trying to come and kill you and rape your women and yeah. take your shit. So there were very genuine reasons to be scared of anybody that worshipped a different god or, or spoke a different language or wore, wore different coloured paint, war paint on their faces. I mean, they were coming to kill you. That right. was the nature of tribal diplomacy. Um, yeah. You know, usually we would, sometimes we would share women, but usually we would just come and try and kill you and take your shit. Um, and, and, you know, that, that was true for the vast majority of, of, human existence. So I get it. That's deeply wired into our primitive brains to be scared of people who look different. Um, And so as we've said on on the War on Drugs series, you know, a lot of the legislation uh, against drugs and even going back to prohibition, Mm -hmm. a lot of it was because uh, a German or German clubs or Irish clubs in the US, places like New York, uh, where all of these immigrants oh, yeah. who were kind of looked down upon by your white American Protestants, your wasps, um, would would meet uh, in bars, mm-hmm. their own bars, Paddy's Pub, <laughs> uh, places like that, <laughs> where they would. Bitch about how badly they were being treated mm-hmm. uh, by the by the cops of a different uh, heritage, right? And uh, the employers, and and they would they would talk about unionizing, or they talk about organizing, they talk about electing one of their own. So part of the argument against prohibition, or for prohibition, sorry, part of the argument for prohibition, around the same time as this, right, nineteen twenty. Was to shut down these places where these guys, oh. these Irishmen or these Germans, um, Poles would would drink. Well, I think Poles came a bit later. Would drink right. and conspire yeah. to get one of their own voted Political to activism. make things better for them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
So the same thing's going on here uh, because you're able to bandy around, well, they're communists or they're socialists, uh, particularly, um, you know, with with the Russians, uh, Mm -hmm. Russian immigrants. Um, Now, just like many people today say, well, Mexico just sends us their rapists or all Muslims are terrorists. Right. Back then, it was very easy for some people to believe that every Russian or German or Italian was a radical trying oh, yes. to overthrow their country. Yeah. Also, the other thing that's going on at the time, um, as these hearings are going on, the Overman Committee hearings, is 9 million American workers who had been employed in the war industries during World War One were being demobilized, and there weren't a lot of jobs around. Because as right. we've discussed way, way, way back early in this here done series, <laughs> a two, two, three, some many, many years ago, um, the American economy wasn't doing too well. Right. Uh, at various points uh, after the late 19th century, it was going through regular recessions and jobs were scarce. So people were struggling to get work at the same time because uh, the economy is is struggling on a different in a different way the cost of living was going up mm-hmm. cost of living had nearly doubled since the beginning of world war 1 uh, oh. through to the end of world war 1 damn right and people are unemployed plus 4 million american soldiers start coming home from world war 1 yeah yeah so it's it's a it's a difficult situation on that front as well. And at the same time, early 1919, four million American workers went out on strike mm. for better wages yeah. and and shorter working hours. So you've got all of this going on as well. People are unhappy. People are angry. Uh, people are going out on strike. And, and the United States had never seen that level of confrontation between workers and bosses. Yeah, it's getting ugly. And so they had to find someone to blame it on. They couldn't blame it on, well, we treat our workers like shit, obviously, because we're rich, white, greedy <laughs> motherfuckers. Right. So they blamed the communists. Oh, it's the communists. Yeah. If I can just add on to that, because I know we're about to wrap up. So, so far, we, the, you know, the Americans are coming back home. The economy's not all that great. We've had some strikes, um, th- like you were saying. and But generally, th- this this is just committees and newspaper reports that are blaming everything on, on the um, on the communists. So, th- so this is a bunch of words, whether they're spoken words or words written on a paper. But as we're about to see, violence is about to come to America in 1919. We'll probably do it on the next show. So, so, so to have tension in the air created by newspapers is one thing, and by senators is one thing. But to have actual violence in the streets, that's a whole other thing, and that's going to drive the, further, the people even further from trusting or even trying to be rational when it comes to the supposed communist threat. Yeah. By the way, um, one of the major strikes that was going on from 1919 through to 1920 was the uh, Great Steel Strike, mm. where uh, steel strikers, uh, steel workers went on strike. And, you know, I think it's interesting when you read the history of strikes in the early 20th century, how many of them were shut down by police, the army, right. mercenary forces, martial. Martial martial law was declared in Gary, Indiana, 
um, when the US Army took over the city on October 6, 1919, to shut down the strike. Right. Um, yeah, it's interesting whenever I get into these conversations with people, they go, well, socialism doesn't work. Have a look at Russia. I'm like, okay, well, let's, let's have a look at uh, capitalism in America in the first uh, 100, 200 years. Yeah. How many times the That's army was rolled in exactly. to yeah, break exactly. down on strikes, have a look at how the, the blacks were treated, have, have a look at how the Native Americans were treated. You went and stole you know, Mexico and said, well, this is now America. Yeah. Um, you know, look at the history of capitalism, and that's just America. And then we can look at what England did to India and what all these other capitalist countries did to Africa and the Middle East and Latin America, et cetera, et cetera. You know, these, these stories are not as well known, I think, but the stories are brutal. But they're there. Yeah. They rolled in the army to shut down a strike. Yeah. And, and, just, and this went on for decades. Absolutely. And just to add to that, in uh, January 21st, 1919, there's a Seattle general strike where the mayor is like, oh, no, oh, no, no they're not going to do this. I'm going to I'm going to bring out the police. I'm going to bring out the army. We're, we're going to crack some heads. We're going to take care of these people. And here's what the people in Seattle did while they were on strike. The people who were on strike, which pretty much brought the city to a halt, made sure that trash was still collected and milk was still delivered to houses for the mommies and the babies. So they were on strike to try to get better working conditions, but they made sure that the trash was picked up and the milk was delivered because, again, this was not a terrorist organization. They're just trying to improve their lives. But it doesn't matter because the Chicago uh, Tribune newspaper says it is only a middling step from Petrograd to Seattle. So, again, just absolutely nailing these people as communists, communist sympathizers, and they practically, they might as well be Russians in our midst. It wasn't just America, too. In 1919, there was a strike in Winnipeg, mm-hmm. one of the most influential strikes in Canadian history. The New York Times reporting on it at the time, uh, their front page had the headline, Bolshevism Invades Canada. Right. Um, the Winnipeg Free Press called the strikers bohunks, aliens, and anarchists. Oh God, bohunk! Bohunk sounds good to yeah, me. Yeah, I want like, to be called a bohunk. Like yeah, you're a you're a hunk. Hey, bohunk! And yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really, it was a pejorative term used for bohemians oh, from Hungary. Not anymore. Uh, well, I wonder if hunky. You know, you're a hunk. It means you look like you're a Hungarian. Oh, God. he looks hunky. Yeah. He looks hunky. <laughs> uh, anyway, I don't know. so uh, what else? So there's other stuff going on in 1919. Um, uh, in Germany, there was the Spartacus uprising, the general strike and armed revolt that followed it, led by Siskel and Ebert. <laughs> no, sorry, Luxembourg and Ebert. Wrong, wrong communists. <laughs> Um, happened in Berlin from the 5th to the 12th of January in 1919. It was a, an uprising, a strike and an uprising led by the socialist and communist parties in Germany. Uh, easily crushed by the government troops, but right. the rest of the world paid attention. So first there'd been a Russian revolution, then there was an attempt at a revolution, a bad attempt in Germany a couple of years later. Mm. Yeah. Um and uh, so all of this is going on. And then uh, on the 2nd of March, 1919, 
Lennon created the Comintern, also known as the Third International, the International Communist Movement. Their declared goal was to struggle by all available means, including armed force, Hmm. for the overthrow of the international bourgeoisie and the creation of an international Soviet republic as a transition stage to the complete abolition of the state. Now, of course, if you are the state, you're not going to be happy to hear about that. If you no. like the state or you are the state, what? Abolition? That's my state. That's not right. No, no one's abo- <laughs> absolving my state. Um, but then, of course, as we talked about, Ray, way back mm-hmm. on episode six oh my God. in April 2016, <laughs> oh my God. three oh. years ago, Mm-hmm. In April of 1919, exactly 100 years ago... Oh, wow. ...there was a bomb plot discovered in the United States. But uh, I think we should leave that until our next episode to get into talking about the great bomb plot. Yes. Of not, the bomb scare of 1919. <sighs> we'll be back next week. d back.